Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician and so are you. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Entree Musician. As you know, this is the space where we concentrate on the mindset, discipline, and focus of the Entree Musician, which is why this episode is so special because we're bringing on and introducing to some, presenting to others, this incredible Entree Musician, multi-instrumentalist, plays wonderful guitar, sings, an incredible composer who has experienced the grace of people like George Benson, Shaka Khan, Anita Poirner, Nick Coleon recording her great compositions. She is a force to be reckoned with, has worked with uh, saxophonists as, as broad as Walter Beasley and uh, Branford Marsalis, Steve Cole. And she's the author of two incredible books, including The Biology of Beating Stress. She's the founder of the New Day Holistic Health uh, Consulting uh, Foundation, I guess. We'll find out about all of that and more. I'm telling you, this is going to be a great experience. It's my pleasure to present Miss Jean Ricks. How are you, dear heart? Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. Even during these times, we have to keep that mindset going and, and be thankful for things like a fabulous day. We've actually got some sunshine. So yes. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I am really uh, very intrigued with your career. When we put the Entree Musician together several years ago, it was creative people like you that we were looking for to highlight, to feature, and to let other creatives know that there's so much that can be done. And you really embody, as I've, I've researched your work, as I've looked at your videos, as I've enjoyed your incredible music, I mean, you're doing it all. And I'm, I'm grateful to know you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's all about trying to find, uh, especially now, new avenues to express yourself. Mm -hmm. um, the things that we thought were, uh, you know, like gigging and stuff like that. Ooh, <laughs> it's, it's been a rough year. So exactly. it's important to keep trying to find new avenues for expression, you know? Absolutely. Now I've got several questions to ask you, but you hit one on the head right now. And the one thing that I was, I was looking for, and uh, you can tell me if I didn't do my homework correctly, but uh, in the great work that you've done with respect to writing your book, talking about stress, anxiety, talking about the body and, and cleansing. Now, did I not see anything that connected that work that you do with creatives, because you've just mentioned with this pandemic and the time that we're in, there's been incredible stress for musicians and, and artistic people. Have you not interlinked any of your coursework to oh, yeah. entre musicians? <laughs> so I haven't done my homework. That's yeah. what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I have a website called Vibroacoustics NY. Vibroacoustics uh -huh. NY. And my goal was to find ways to make my music more healing. Hmm. Um, I was already doing music. I had done weather the, for the Weather Channel. I was doing the local on the eights, the smooth jazz behind right. the local on the eights forecast. And so I had a lot of smooth jazz stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, I was making an income from that. But then NBC decided they weren't going to use outside music anymore. Mm -hmm. So that left me without a gig. Sure. Um, and I started looking for ways because I was under so much stress. And I was like, you know, 
people always say my music is soothing and da, 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 da. How can I elevate that to the next level and actually help people to really relax, Mm -hmm. you know? And I found, um, you know how you dip your toe in the water and then you find out there's an ocean? I found this ocean of research on how music can be used Mm -hmm. for relaxation and how specifically the brain works. Like as you and I are speaking, right? If you had on an EEG cap that kind of looked like a swim cap, but it has all these nodules, these nodes in it that connect to a machine that reads brainwaves. It would show that you're in beta because we're engaged. We're speaking. You're fo- fully conscious, focused. But if you were, say, meditating or watching TV, which is what advertisers have counted on since the 50s, you, um, you slip down. Your conscious mind slips to the back just a little bit. Uh, you're still aware, but your conscious mind steps back and your subconscious mind is more to the fore. And so it is there for more... Um, Capture. more malleable yeah a little yeah you can put some stuff in there which is again what advertisers count on is us being in this relaxed state and so we just want to buy chips all of a sudden right. um so in that i found a, a mentor named gary robert buchanan amazing person out of utah who does all this work using tones using sound frequencies Mm -hmm. and he mentored me and i learned to use uh, those tones to help people relax and to help the mind he's got a it's an amazing uh array of of illnesses that he actually treats the call it's called cymatics Mm -hmm. i just work with stress obviously and ptsd Mm -hmm. i help people literally find how to relax we get uh, if you will, normalized towards being tense. We just expect to carry a certain amount of tension. Mm-hmm. And that's not natural, but it's natural for us. It becomes our natural state. Mm-hmm. I can teach people in minutes how to take that, uh, that and make that relaxation happen. Now they're retraining their brain. Now they're like, oh, is this what it feels like to be relaxed? Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. that knot is gone. All of this is, wow. You know, mm-hmm. I teach people how to get to sleep without drugs, how to, you know what I mean? All through using sound. Sound, one of the most ancient, t- <laughs> you can't get better than that. You know, they actually have found that just drumming you know how in, in Africa we had the drum. Yes. Just drumming, that drone, that tone, just doing that literally yes. brings down the heart rate, wow. changes the brainwave activity. I mean, there's scientific studies behind this. This isn't just woo woo. Oh, no, this I is understand. the real deal. Sure. And so I put together um, using the tones that Gary gratefully, thankfully uh, shared with me, I put music underneath them of different styles and stuff because not everybody's into smooth jazz. So I did a little classical stuff, a little this, that, and the other. And I also have programs to help people focus and concentrate because it's not just for relaxation. Just like I said, we're in beta now. Yeah, I can help people lift up (laughs) so that they are more focused uh, if they're working on, um, I helped some guys get through the bar exam, that kind of stuff. I also do clinical hypnosis. So yeah, I've, I figured out a way, Jared, <laughs> to make it all. Wow. Well, I didn't see that particular website. You know, I, I went, I, I uh, previewed your book. And, uh, you know, of course, I listened to uh, your music online. I checked out your website, but I didn't see the Vibron. 
Uh, so I, I need to avail yeah, myself I'm, to it. Vibroacoustics NY. Vibroacoustics NY, NY being New And York. also, it's also, I, I just got soundhealth.me because that's a little long. So I put up soundhealth.me as a okay. little smaller. Sure. Well, well, we'll link to all of that because, you know, that, that was the one thing that, uh, you know, even as I was telling my wife uh, prior to our conversation, I said, well, I'm hoping that 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 is a way because I've talked to many musicians, especially, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing that we're almost at a year now uh, since the shutdown happened. And yeah. I knew literally tens and tens and tens, maybe a hundred, 150 right off the bat, that was all their income. Some of them had five or six sources. And so, as you can imagine, a lot of stress, you know, thank God for the technology, we were able to kind of pivot and adapt, but, you know, just dealing with that emotional realm of, okay, what's next, what's next? Because many of them full-time musicians, how am I going to pay my mortgage? What's happening with the light bill? You know, these were real concerns. So thank you for, you know, thinking ahead and, and bringing about a platform that we will link to and uh, hopefully it will provide. My concern also is that we're not getting the next generation. We're losing time. You know, um, these kids aren't getting musical instruction because, as you know, it's difficult online. Sure. Because of the time. Yeah, the time difference is really. Woo. Um, and yeah. kids aren't inspired to pick up a, an instrument if they haven't seen people playing. I mean, do you Absolutely. know what I mean? You need yes. that that yes. inspiration. And, and that's not happening right now. And I, I worry about what's going to happen for instrumentalists. I mean, they're, they're people making beats and doing all that kind sure, of stuff online. Sure. But, but real I'm worried about. Yeah, I'm worried about the, the, the instrumentalists. What's going to happen with that? You know, okay. are we going to get that next group of inspired people to, to take us to the next level, especially with, uh, in, in, within the African-American community? Because, you know, as uh, our music moves everything forward, it always That's has. I mean, it, if you look at the, the roots of, well, slave songs, yeah. um, field songs. Yes, that was the roots, the genesis of the blues. That's correct. Well, that's that one thing. The blues spawned gospel and and <laughs> jazz. Right. I mean, uh, well, at that time it was ragtime. Everything mm -hmm. splintered off of the blues, and then came rhythm and blues. Yes. You know, which was you know kind of uh, all still dance music, but it was considered you know race music. Right. Come on, what? Right. And that became rock and roll. You know, yeah. and then you got jazz, which splintered off as we got more exposure to electronic instruments and that kind of thing. Well, that splintered a whole new thing, new genre. Right. But then you've got this this blending, this melding, this mixing pot that happened. And, you know, it's it's almost like we are so as a people so creative, yes. uh, so effortlessly that we drop off. We leave behind our our own creative and we just keep moving to the next thing. Right. Well, that's why people like um, the Rolling Stones can still fill an audit, you know, a massive sure. stadium, but sure. our musicians of the same um, generation yeah. can't get arrested. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. It's it blows amazing. my mind. Um, but in Japan and in other parts of the world, they value our roots music more than we do, Man. which is, is, strange You're it's preaching. kind of yeah yeah but i wonder what's going to happen mm -hmm. 
um, in terms of, of the next branch of music? Because it's like, because music was taken out of the schools back in, what was that, the 80s? Yes, yes. Uh, and instruments weren't freely available to our people. Um, mm -hmm. Instru you know, they started making beats. They started doing what they could. They they could. off of rec uh, recordings and and right. you know downloaded sampling, stuff. sampling and, and created a whole new amazing genre. Come on, what that mm -hmm. stuff is? Some of it's hot. Whoa! Sure. But <laughs> there, there's there's not any the next. You don't know the next generation of music. Music hasn't happened, and I'm wondering what's going to happen next. What's what's it going to be? I'm excited, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I wonder what it's going to be. Absolutely. I mean, you said a lot, uh, a mouthful there, because uh, on one hand, in mentioning the Rolling Stones, you know, there, there's this, um, there's this anchor in rock music whereby they honor uh, those who have gone before, you know, so, you know, if we were to, like, we had the, uh, uh, the Rock and Roll uh, Hall of Fame, which is in Cleveland, Ohio, but if we had a, uh, you know, the Funk Museum, like, that was in Dayton, or Soul, or R&B, <laughs> and really paid homage to the Aretha Franklins, the Sam Cooks, and those, you know, we don't seem, I mean, we move forward, you're right about that, but we don't seem to take an anchor, because any 12-year-old will know who Metallica is, they will know who the Rolling Stones are, they would, you know, any contemporary 12-year-old um, suburban kid would know, hey, this is the roots of rock and roll right here, they know the Beatles, I mean, because Rolling Stone magazine will put the Beatles out next week, just like all those guys are still here and, and push the music forward. But we won't do the same thing. I mean, you no, know, I talked to it, a 12 year old the other day. He'd never heard of Miles Davis. I was like, ooh, <laughs> okay. Or Otis, Otis Redding. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Put country Western music, they honor their own. That's and it. wait, basically, country Western is now the new R&B. I mean, have you noticed? I, I've noticed. <laughs> I've noticed. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's just, you know, as you said before, you know, uh, we owning the music, this coming down from our ancestors, uh, we should have more respect for it. We should give it the place of value that it absolutely needs. My but where are they going to learn to value it? Where do they get that? Uh, you know what I mean? That 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 in, that in education about their history, they don't even know where would they get it. Do you I know what I mean? Where I where? It's you and I. I think it's our generation. I think the responsibility is really on our shoulders. Um, I have a video, and it's it's long gone. My my oldest daughter is thirty eight years old, right? Okay, wow. so I have this video that I put out of her putting on a record. Like she didn't know where to put the stylus, you know, on the vinyl because when she grew, and I never thought of it when she was growing up in her home, it was always CDs, you know. So she didn't know eight tracks, she didn't know cassette, she just knew, okay, put the CD in, but she had trouble. Like, where do I set it? So it's on me. I said, I, I've got to do more. <laughs> I've got to do more. So I just broke out the vinyl, got it out of the closet, you know, and, 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 and I said, hey, here's what we need to go through. And so now she knows, this is Sam Cooke. This is Otis Redding. Oh, yeah. And those are the pioneers. Yeah, Sam Cooke. After all, Sam Cooke was the inspiration for Aretha Franklin and many yes. others who came out. He broke yeah. that barrier of yeah. the 
if you will, the gospel style music and brought it to the popular genre. A lot of people were were pissed at Sam in, yeah. initially. There was kind of he got a little flack for that. Sure. Um, but then it broke the barrier, just like when Aretha Franklin switched from Columbia Records, where they had her trying to be Dinah Washington, yeah. which was with moderate success. She was doing classics. But mm. then when she went to Atlantic and she broke out with R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Boom. do you realize there is a demarcation, literally, in the way female singers approached a song from when that 45 came out oh, and yeah. ever after that. Oh, Everybody yeah. had to respond to that. Even Patti LaBelle was doing the Bluebells and they were just doing da 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 da. Mm -mm. After Aretha came out with that. <laughs> the grits, uh, the grits. Yes. <laughs> and I think, wasn't that an Otis Redding song, Respect? Wasn't I believe that so. I believe he wrote two or three for Aretha. I yeah, have to yeah. Yeah. Go back to my research. Yeah, I was sad that we lost her. We've lost yeah. so many people. We it's, it's crazy. We, we have. Oh boy, you you've opened up a whole new world. Because here's here's one thing that I really appreciated about you in watching one of your videos. And you did this acoustic cover of Lift Every Voice. And I'm going, you know what? When I talk to her, she has to record it. You have to record and release that <laughs> without fail. Beautiful beautiful rendition. Thank if you. it were not so, I wouldn't tell you. I wouldn't even say it. I, you know, why, why I try to butter you up? But I thought, oh. man, that's a really unique take. You got to put Thank it out. You yeah. know, it was, um, I did We Shall Overcome um, many years ago. I, I woke up one morning, Jerry, and I'm not like, you know, Miss Civil Rights or whatever. You know what I mean? I woke sure. up and I was hearing this rendition of We Shall Overcome. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm minding my own business. You know what I mean? Doing my thing. Yeah. Trying to write new music. Anyway, so I heard this thing and it would not leave me alone. Literally, it was just, and it kept expanding and getting bigger. And so I sat down and for the next, like, I don't know, 30 hours or something, I just worked on that, yeah. that arrangement, trying to catch all the parts. Um, yeah, I have a, I don't have it here. I have a little dictaphone that I keep by the bed because I often wake up with new songs going through my head. There you go. It's, it's a wonderful gift. I mean, I, I realize that nothing is new and everything is a compilation, but it sounds new to me. And anyway, so- Rework it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after I finished the arrangement, I was setting up the microphone to do the vocals and I suddenly realized what I was doing, what what this song meant and the weight of it and yeah. how many people it had carried, you know, and, and oh my God, I got really kind of scared to do the vocal. I mean, oh. seriously, I was like, how do I approach it? I mean, do I, I mean, what, what do I, seriously, I looked at that microphone, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> this song, and same thing with Lift Every Voice, that mm -hmm. song, mm -hmm. It's so much more than an anthem. It, it is. is, I mean, it it's, is. oh, it, it, it carried people. Do you realize yeah. there were people who were, uh, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, Ralph Abernathy, mm -hmm. um, Medgar Evers, th these people who marched and bled for us, who Correct. went to jail. She she Correct. had an eye that was just, she lost because she was beat by some yeah. man trying yeah. to keep her from voting. Exactly. exactly. And so when you do those songs, I'm always aware of the reverence of a song like Lift Every Voice and Sing and We Shall Overcome. And I want to make sure that I I do it 
you know what I mean? That I pay that homage to. You did it wonderfully. I, and I, I mean that wholeheartedly. And I thought the simplicity of just the acoustic guitar was magical. I, oh, thank yeah. you. I'll record it um, yeah. next on that. Thank you. Yeah, you can give me the thank you credit after you. <laughs> <laughs> I just did an all-nighter. Actually, I literally have had like two hours of sleep. That's I the got, way we roll. Um, That's the way we roll, though. <laughs> <laughs> I sent you the track. Yeah. Um, somebody asked me for a song that I had done on my album, Make It Work. Mm -hmm. um, it's called War and Insufficient Peace. Mm -hmm. So not War and Peace, but War... An insufficient piece. <laughs> yes, and um, they wanted to, they're, they're doing a peace project. It's a, it's a collection of eclectic musicians put together by Bobby Irving, Robert Irving III. He was a producer for Miles Davis for many, many years and did his live shows too. Um, anyway, he asked for this song and they had enough of a budget for me to be able to use live drums. Do you yeah. understand? I do. Not, Completely. not samples. No, I'm a drummer. I'm a drummer, so I know. I understand. <laughs> oh my God. It was such a, it was, it was so wonderful, but believe me, it's been so long since I worked with live drum tracks, you know, cause I, I, I studied engineering and I, I've done recording for live drums, but not in a long, long time. <laughs> I got these tracks. It was like, oh my God, there's no separation. Oh my God. Cause I'm used to samples. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got nice separation there. You, you know what oh. I mean? You get the foot track and it's just the foot. This had foot and hi-hat and everything. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I wanted to process it. You know, you wanted to process the hi-hat a little bit, but that meant it was going to bleed over into the, never mind. Anyway. No, well, no, that, that's it. We're the entree musicians, so we get it. <laughs> we get it. But you did the mix. The mix, however, was very good. Now that is your Thank you. You heard it? I did hear it. As soon as you sent it. Oh, thank you. It was, it was, it was a beast. No, very good. So who, let's give credit to the drummer. I'm a drummer, so we got to give that drummer credit. his name. Oh. I'll find out. Well, let me ask you this. What, was it recorded? Were the drums sent to you? Did he record it? Uh-huh. The drums were sent to me. So they used my track. Now on my track, um, the bass is Hilliard Green, the acoustic bass that you heard on that. And of course, I'm playing the supporting keyboards and all the other instruments. Um, yeah. Uh, and and so all of that stuff had been done. It's on the album, Make It Work, with electronic drums that I programmed. Right, right. Uh, so this was an opportunity to expand the piece a little bit. And like I said, have the the, the player, they sent me, the, they flew me the tracks um, last yesterday at like five o'clock and told me, we need this by tomorrow morning. Really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, no, you did. You did great. I mean, I thought it was very well produced. I thank mean, you. Yeah, definitely. Thank and you. So thank this is going to be on a compilation called the Peace Project. Yes, and exactly. When, when are they expecting the release? Uh, I'll have to give you more information. I just, okay. yeah, they haven't sent me the rest of it. It's forthcoming. Excellent. So tell me about the moment, the the time, the dispensation when you knew that you were going to go into music full time when when was that <laughs> really you want <laughs> I want it yeah I was at Syracuse University as a pre-law student mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I had done lots and lots of music but I my father you know parents you know how you guys are listen uh, to that <laughs> I, 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 I don't I don't live we don't live vicariously 
through our children. My name is not Joe Jackson, okay? So, <laughs> um, so I'm sitting in class one day and um, I had been doing really well. Don't get me wrong. I had like a 3.8, something like that. Um, Cause um, I, I've always read a lot. Both of my parents were teachers, you know and both of my parents were musicians. My mother was a classical pianist and my dad played jazz. He played that stride style, you know? Yes. Um, and matter of fact, he had a bachelor's and a master's in music. Both of them had their bachelor's in music. And then he got his PhD in anthropology mm. at, uh, at a time when, you know, they weren't helping black people do that. They, yeah. they, they tried to discourage him in every kind of way. Wow. Um, but he used that to study ethnomusicology. That anthropology PhD was based on his, um, one of his theses is on the, the roots of gospel music. Um, it's, it's fantastic. He went around the South with this uh, recorder that recorded on wire, on wire, okay? And he went around the South to all these small little churches in, back in the woods and over in this creek, but, and he recorded all these um, gospel, you know, musicians, and he, he wrote a thesis on that. And so these are the people that I came from. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting in class at Syracuse. I was the only minority in my class mm -hmm. of any kind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? And we had spent like, I want to say the whole quarter on one loophole in a contract. We were, you know, discussing all the angles of it and other, and it was fascinating, but I realized it dawned on me like all at once, wait a minute, law isn't about fairness. It's just about winning. Mm. That's <laughs> It, it has, has nothing the to, advantage. Yeah. Yes, it has nothing to do with justice. Mm. It blew my mind. I was like, wait a minute. I'm going to end up working for a public defender's office trying to get justice for people. And justice doesn't exist. All I'll ever be able to get for them is a deal and maybe a little money, but I won't be able to get justice for them. Wow. I'm going to end up across the aisle from one of these idiots and they're going to be working for a major corporation making buku bucks and i'm going to be working as a, oh no i can't do this wow. what a revelation oh my god seriously in that moment it was like oh no <laughs> this isn't about justice the legal profession is just about winning mm. in whatever way you can Oh, it blew my mind. I, I was so naive, you know? Yeah, I really yeah. thought it was about justice. So in that, I literally applied, I think, the next day to Berklee College of Music up in Boston mm -hmm. uh, because they had a film scoring department. My major is in film scoring, and I that's see. what I hope to still do some. Now, I did one thing for Francis Ford Coppola for a film called Assassination Tango, mm. but I haven't really scored a major film, and that is, let's put it out there, that's what I'm wanting to do is <laughs> score a major film. Now there aren't Black women that are allowed to do that it you know what they didn't teach us in school was certain things are boys clubs and mm -hmm. they're not looking for you yeah mm -hmm. and especially with movies most of these guys have a production team mm -hmm. that they've been working with pretty much since they got out of film school you know yeah, what i mean they, I they create that team for themselves and so if you haven't gotten in that network yeah you are screwed <laughs> so mm -hmm. so i like i said i did music for the weather channel i've done other 
small films, um, stuff for NYU film students, that kind of stuff, because I'm in New York. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but I haven't had that opportunity to really score a true film. And that is a, that's a goal of mine is to really get out there and do that. That's excellent. So after, after graduating from Berkeley, then the CDs came or did you go out on the road or, or what was the journey? Yeah, because I'm more of a writer than a performer. Mm -hmm. All of my friends uh, got out there and were really like Branford and, and, and Walter Beasley and, um, Oh, gosh, who else was out there? Um, so many. Michelle Farrell, mm -hmm. um, all these folks. Um, they got out there and they started, you know, really making waves for themselves. I, as a writer, like I said, I got a few things like the George Benson uh, cut. Oh, Jerry, I thought that was that was my big break because it was the title cut for the CD. Yes, yes. But unfortunately, it was his last record for Wea. <laughs> so, yeah. so when he changed labels, they were like, oh, we don't have to promote that. So it didn't get any promotion. Mm -hmm. um, but Bob James was wonderful. He was such a wonderful mentor. And it was wonderful for him to include me in on the sessions I got to. They used my tracks, yeah. my original computer, you know, programmed mm -hmm. stuff. And I got to sing background vocals with Lisa Fisher, of all mm -hmm. people. I mean, she's just a phenomenal, amazing. Yeah. Well, I've been blessed to work with some incredible people. Um, and then after George came the, the Shaka Khan thing and the Pointer Sisters um, mm -hmm. thing. And um, like I said, then I started doing the Weather Channel stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing because uh, we found ourselves, my, my band Sound Doctrine, this is 2006, 2007, uh, with our music on the Weather Channel. It was through a blanket license through BMI and, uh, you know, was able to be introduced to Bob Baldwin. And, you know, the, the stuff happens. And like you said, you know, just when you think, all right, this is it. This is the launch pad right here. There's a recording contract that they're dealing with or something. And it, it changes, but you keep it moving. Yeah. I mean, I moved to New York because I was promised a publishing deal by two different publishers mm -hmm. that didn't transpire. Both of the people who had promised me those deals actually left their jobs within six months of me getting here. So that was a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, the life I, of a non-trade musician. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I was actually watching the Weather Channel and I heard their music and I was like, wait a minute, I should be on there. <laughs> Right. And this was at a time when you even now it's it's hard to find that the one person that you need that can flick that switch and let you in. Right. Um, but right. I worked on it and I, I yeah, I was I was fortunate in that. But you, you seem to me to be incredibly persistent. So anything that you really put your mind and heart to do, you know, um, you seem to me to excel. And I, I really don't know you, know you, but just standing on the outside looking in from the time I first reached out to you on LinkedIn, I thought, hey, she has something that's really going on. You know, now when you, while you were on the Weather Channel and while you were releasing these CDs and watching other uh, notable people record your music, is that when you decided to found New Day? Or yeah, I was sick. Did that come after? <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I've had surgery five times. I mm -hmm. um, That's what kind of stymied my music career, because every single time I started to make a little leeway, I'd get sick again and have to go back in the hospital and oh, all this right. kind of stuff. And I had one of those epiphanies where I realized, oh, wait a minute, Western medicine is not the answer, or I wouldn't have to keep going back for this. Let me work this out. 
Sure. And I, um, I had had a, a major surgery and it had gone, it was, it, they thought that I was, I was not going to be here. They gave me like eight to 10 months of living time. They said, you know, we're sorry, uh, but you know, get your things in order, that kind of thing. I was 24. Oh, and I was laying there in the hospital and I was like, no, 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 no. This isn't how it ends. This is not how it ends. Correct. And I, um, I got myself together. I started reading books. I started finding um, other practitioners, I, you know, other health modalities. Mm-hmm. Um, I started learning how to eat. And I started, I went to Columbia University's Teachers College and got my certification as a health counselor. Mostly for me. <laughs> Understood. <clears throat> I needed to figure this out. And I was in the health food store and I saw all those concoctions and I was like, what is this about? So I went and I got certification, you know, from that teaching background from my parents, right? So I went and got certification as an herbalist, as yeah. a, yeah, because I, I wanted to know what all that stuff was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went and I got certification as a clinical hypnotist because once again, it was a modality that I needed to help yes. me heal. Mm-hmm. And in doing all of that, people would ask me, oh, my God, you look so good. How are you? What are you? Listen, my aunt has a this, that, and the other. And people started asking me questions about their own health. And I didn't want to just answer off the cuff. So sure. I just kept getting more and more accreditation, like the personal trainer stuff. Wow. I didn't want to just tell people how to exercise. I wanted to do it with a little, it's it's like I said, from my parents' background. You always yeah. learn, get an education. Yeah. Anyway. So that's how New Day Holistic Health happened, was because so many people were asking me, you know, how to get healthy. And I realized, okay, let me put a shingle on this and actually do it in a way that's really constructive for people. They can find out more information. So I do workshops, Mm -hmm. uh, which I'm honored to do. I've done some free workshops in Harlem, you know, because I'm in New York, trying to get our people to get more information about their own health, because we have an obesity epidemic that is insane. Certainly. Um, We also have high levels of high of cholesterol and high Mm -hmm. blood pressure. Correct. And unfortunately, because for my certifications, I have to go back every two years and get recertified. Matter of fact, I'm working on my recertification as a personal trainer now. Um, but doctors don't have to have that, That you know, some of really? them specialize. Yeah, they don't. And so you've got doctors who are still preaching, for instance, the doctrine of low salt diets. Mm. That's not what causes high blood pressure. The research is in. The fact is that high blood pressure comes from high sugar levels, comes mm. from Glucose Mm -hmm. comes from eating all those wonderful sugary foods that we enjoy. That's Mm -hmm. what raises your blood pressure. And people know this empirically because they they know people who've been on a low-salt diet and they still die from a heart attack. Why is that? Because it's the sugar. It's not the salt. Same thing with high cholesterol. Mm -hmm. It's the sugar. And and so I'm frustrated, you know, because I, I do these workshops and yet people are not I, I don't reach enough people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's so many people who don't don't know. So I've been doing more online workshops too, mm-hmm. um, trying to get the message out about boosting your immune system. There's all this yeah. stuff now because of the pandemic about wearing a face mask, which is wonderful, and doing social distancing. That's cool. But what about boosting your own immune system? That's your first line of defense. You know what I mean? And it's I it's do. time that we, yeah, yeah. But you don't hear that being preached on the news media, which is frustrating for me. I'm, 
I'm shocked actually that more people aren't talking mm. about that, especially yeah. in light of vitamin D3, which is so important for our That's community. Correct. Because That's of the correct. melanin content, even That's as correct. light as I am, I yeah. still have. <laughs> um, and it's, it. yeah, it, it protects us, but it also creates a barrier from us being able to really easily metabolize vitamin D3. Well, that affects your cardiovascular health. That affects your moods. Yes. That affects your obesity. That affects your weight gaining. And with your immune system for COVID-19, it's really an important supplement to be conscious of that and zinc. Absolutely. So important. Yeah. Yeah. And for men, zinc, you know, in women, zinc is throughout the body, but in men, the zinc level in your body is mostly concentrated in your prostate mm -hmm. gland. Well, mm -hmm. as you mature, what happens? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. And mm -hmm. it's like a ticking time bomb. Right. But most men aren't told that they need to supplement with zinc in order yeah. to help get that organ as healthy as it possibly can, specifically Absolutely. with zinc arginate. That's the one that is most concentrated, that focuses right on that prostate gland. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've it's learned amazing. a lot. <laughs> no, that's good. That's, that's, that's good news because it definitely, you know, before we can talk about music and, uh, you know, the, the vital career, we have to talk about you, your person being healthy you being vital. And, yeah. and you're right. I've had this argument and we won't go down the street now, but I've had this argument with my personal physician uh, since I was 35. I'm considerably older than that now about certain prescriptions he wanted to give me. And I just absolutely refused. There's no way. This is what I'm going to do. I am going to read. I didn't do the research that you've done. I don't have any certifications, but I began reading. I mean, it's so simple. Information is out there if you want to go and get it. It's out there. Misinformation, and I begin is, misinformation is out there, too. No, that's well, that, frustrating. That's, that's absolutely true. But, you know, too, when you look at, like, I begin looking at, you know, my family line on both my mother's side, my father's side. Well, what did so-and-so die of? What happened? How come they're wearing an oxygen mask? What is their diagnosis? And you go, okay, how can I just stop that here at this level? And you begin, like you said, uh, the, the zinc, you know, the vitamin D3. I mean, come on. You know, I, I just begin to say, okay, wait a minute, turn it off. I don't need to have coffee with two spoonfuls of sugar in it. I don't. I can just roll with the coffee. I mean, I'm a coffee drinker, so you know, I know you're going <laughs> to say awesome. something about that, too. Yeah. I know you are, because I saw one of your videos. <laughs> but I am a coffee drinker, but I cut out the sugar, so blah. Give me a little bit. Uh, but that's the other reason I wrote the book, The Biology of Beating Stress. They had asked me to write a book about nutrition. And I was like, eh, there's a lot of good nutrition books out there with people who have alphabets after their name. They don't need me to write a nutrition book. Um, but there's not much information and needs to be about stress because get this. You may have a gene, like you mentioned your family line. Mm -hmm. You may have a gene for prostate cancer or for cardiovascular disease. Maybe your aunt had um, psoriasis or something like that. So yes, that gene may be in your pool. Mm -hmm. But the thing that turns that gene on, the thing that puts that on the on switch is something from your environment, mm -hmm. either an environmental stress like you know pollution, that kind of thing, or stress, simple Internal. stress. Mm -hmm. And your environment isn't just the, the air that you breathe and the water you drink, it's the people who surround you. That's part of your environment. It's you people like your job. Mm -hmm. Do you feel secure financially? Mm -hmm. All of that 
It's a big, you can't, the doctor, and that's what frustrates me about the medical community. You can't just give somebody a pill if you're not aware of how they are functioning overall as a person. Correct. So the stress component is enormous. Within seconds, mm-hmm. your body actually responds to your stress. You get a phone call or, or a text that you want, oh God, I've got to deal with this. Right. In that instant, right. your body responds. And if you get enough of those during the day or enough little things, man, your cortisol level is up here and it's That's over, right. party over. You are in inflammation mode. That's and right. did you know that when you eat sugar, six hours after having sugar, your immune system is still depressed. Mm. It goes down by half when you have a sugary treat. Some of you, you know, that soda. In mm. that soda, for the next six hours, that you, after you've had that soda, your body's immune system is compromised. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you've just made your body acidic. You don't realize it. Same thing for meat eating. I'm not saying everybody has to be vegetarian. I'm not vegetarian, Mm -hmm. but we eat way too much meat. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I know people who cannot sit down at the table without a course of meat. Correct. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Understood. So let's, let's do this. Uh, And you're not prepared for this, but you know, it's good. I don't have anything up my sleeve, but you know, let's just prepare a healthy day for the average entree musician as he or she gets up in the morning and prepares, they have a, a busy schedule. They have, you know, like you last night, a 10 hour recording session, you know, <laughs> they have, you know, uh, deadlines to hit. What are you telling them to do? How can they, in that day that they know, hey man, when I look at this calendar, tomorrow's gonna be very stressful. What would you suggest that he or she does? Literally from the morning, yeah. first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, have like four ounces or six ounces of water with a squeeze of lemon. Mm -hmm. Helps your body be alkaline, at least starting off the day. Mm -hmm. We know you're gonna do some crap later, but (laughs) at least- Get started, right? (laughs) Start off the day alkaline. Yeah. And make a list of things, a handwritten, there's this thing between our mind and our handwriting that creates an incredible link that you don't get when you, when you, when you type or when you text. Uh, so a handwritten list of things that have to be done for the day so that your mind is already got that going. Actually, you should make that the night before because mm. it'll help you sleep. It's amazing what the mind does. If you do that handwritten list and just a list, not a journal, not yeah. paragraphs sure. of things that have to be hap- happen during the day, like conversations you may need to have, need to talk with so-and-so, need to, uh, need to buy need toothpaste. You know, that list allows your subconscious mind not to have to remind you of those things when you're trying to sleep. Mm. It's a simple concept, Excellent. but people don't know to do it. Um, And also breathing throughout the day, whether you think you've had stress or not, because I guarantee you, we, before we leave home, have had more stress in our day in the morning than our bodies were meant to have in months. So whether you think you've had stress or not, take a few simple deep breaths a couple of times during the day, just a couple of times during the day. You know, and it it slows down that cortisol response. It subliminally, again, tells your subconscious mind that there is no tiger chasing you Mm -hmm. because your brain doesn't know that you're not under attack. All these little texts, all these little interruptions that you think is just stress 
your body thinks you're being attacked. Wow. So if you just slow it down several times during the day, whether you think you know it or not, and whether you think I'm crazy or not, even just getting more oxygen to your brain is a good thing. Yes. So just take some deep breaths throughout the day. I had to remind myself when I was sitting at the computer doing, um, you know, and instead of coffee, all right, are you ready? Because believe I'm ready. me, I, I literally was up all night. I mean, I'm not even, I went to bed at seven um, this morning. So here's what you do. As if you're grabbing something out of the air, right? You do this. <laughs> And you do it like 20 times, okay. oh my God, you get so high and your brain gets so much oxygen. It's incredible. And that is what you do instead, my friend, of having coffee. Mm. It, that high that you get from doing that mm -hmm. will last you about three to four hours. Interesting. Because so of the just oxygen in through the, intake. In through the nose, out through the mouth, like 20 times, as fast as you possibly can, and giving it a pulling motion at the same time. Gotcha. Amazing pick-me-up. I mean, wow. it'll blow your mind. I will try that. I will try that. So you're in the, you're in the studio now. So you, you've had your water. You've, ha you've had your deep breath. You're getting ready to leave. You've made the list the night before. You know you're in it. And you're on, like, take number 40 because the saxophone player just is not laying it down the way you think. No, I'm not picking on saxophone players. <laughs> Could be the flautist. Whatever. Or the drummer's uh, hi-hat. The drummer's hi-hat keeps no. falling apart because he's getting holding it up by somebody. No, no, that's not, we, we don't work with drummers like that. <laughs> or, or his foot pedal, his foot pedal is squeaking, squeaking. on every doggone day. <laughs> Okay, we'll go with the squeaky foot pedal. So, 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 so you're there behind the glass, and what are you doing? Are you breathing? So you excuse yourself and you go to the washroom because you don't want people to see you do it. But you go to the washroom and you, <laughs> and you get that thing back up. I mean, seriously, it lifts you back up. You come back in that room, you're like, all right, let's go. You know, <laughs> all is well. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, some really people cool. are like, what's she doing in the washroom? I don't know. <laughs> Come out with a can of WD-30, too. That might help you. <laughs> yeah, so instead of those little shots, instead of those mm -hmm. caffeine oh, yeah. shots. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't, I, I've never used those, but I'm a coffee drinker. I do like coffee. I don't do the, uh, what do you call that? You know, the whatever those things are called cappuccinos and and the whole deal just a, espresso it's for you know the mm. the flavored thing i'm just like yo i'll take a cup of coffee i'm good with it but i'm not trying to give myself an excuse we're moving <laughs> through the, we're moving through the recording session so all right how are we how are we ending our day we we've instituted those things and so it's time to you know check out for the the evening are yeah, we doing you, anything to bring us down to help yeah. us relax what, what's happening Get this. So, I mean, and there's tons of science behind even this, that, that, that's science. There's a, a mechanism that happens. You're actually getting more nitric oxide through breathing in through your nose, but it's a whole other thing. So if you take some deep breaths and you take more time breathing out, sustaining the breath out than you do coming in, you actually change the autonomic nervous system. You literally turn off that um, cortisol response. And it's a simple thing. You take two quick breaths in through your nose, filling your lungs to capacity. So like, mm -hmm. long out, right? Okay. 
it's amazing what it does both psychologically but physically to the body. It literally turns off that cortisol response. And like I said, making that list, that's in my book and my workbook, the Be More Stress Less workbook. I have worksheets in there for people to use at night before they go to bed and creating their own liberation word. I, I, I love coining that term because it's liberating the mind. Mm. You see, people get looping thoughts you know, that thing that you meant to wow. do that you forgot, or that conversation you, you were telling somebody off or something, <laughs> or even just a song that you can't get out of your head. Sure. Well, the brain can only handle one thing at a time. Like you can't spell your name backwards and multiply four by 12, can you? I've never tried. <laughs> <laughs> so the concept is simply this, find a word. I use the word zucchini. I don't know why, I just chose that word. Find a word that you can use, a nonsense word, and just keep repeating it to yourself. Over when you're trying to sleep and you can't get the, thought, the, the, the brain to stop, just find a word and just repeat it to yourself over and over again. Or when you have a looping thought and you wanna stop that thought, you know, or when you have, do you, do you see what I mean? When you, whenever you need to stop this, yeah whatever is causing you to, to go there, just find a nonsense word mm. and repeat it to yourself over and over and over again. It crowds out your brain's ability to use your, you know, your subconscious to, to feed you all these thoughts. Yeah. Um, we have, you remember when you saw babies when they're little and they do all that cool, cool, and they're making all those noises and they're practicing speech basically, yeah, right? Yeah, right? You have a speech center in your brain that is still there when you're an adult. And it was used for that back then, but now you know how to talk. So it's not doing anything, it's just hanging out. Well, that's what your subconscious mind grabs onto. And that's where you get the looping thoughts. It grabs onto that thing that used to be useful. <laughs> that's just sitting there, that speech center. Right. And it starts looping thoughts. That's the I way see. you turn it off. Find yeah. a nonsense word and just repeat it to yourself over and over again. Now your brain can't focus on anything else other than that nonsense word and it frees you. Wow. So if I am at, at the end of my night and I've done my breathing, settled myself down, but I still have a niggling, naggling thought. I've done my list so that, you know, I know what I'm doing tomorrow. I can put that out of my mind. I don't have to think about those things anymore, mm -hmm. but I still have some little niggling thought that's keeping me from really, I do a liberation word. So those are the three key elements that I would say to help yourself bring your modulate yourself back down so that you can actually get a restful sleep because you're fatigued. So you will sleep, you'll yeah. drop off like that, yeah. but it won't be that deep restful sleep that you really need. You won't do as many REM cycles. You know, you go through a REM cycle every 90 minutes when you, when you sleep and you need all eight of those in order to really get your brain refreshed. Mm -hmm. um, they're neurotrophic uh, brain factors that, that actually cleanse the brain and it doesn't happen if you don't sleep i see i see now do you do you take your musicians uh through this practice when you guys are recording or when you are preparing for a performance no we're just doing our thing what i <laughs> most of the time don't even tell music no i really don't tell people that i do the health thing is that is that right I don't... Yeah, now it's off now you screwed me up good <laughs> <laughs> No, I just, I just thought, I thought, I thought really, truly that as I'm looking and again, I haven't done deep research as you have, but as I'm studying you 
to prepare for our conversation. And I'm looking at all of the stuff that you have available. I'm wondering, where's the link? And that's why I had that conversation with my wife thinking, man, I could see where entree musicians really could use this information. Because again, I say two things here. First of all, we do concentrate on the mindset discipline and, and the focus of the entree musician. And the second thing is, it's more about who we are than what we do. I'm a guitarist, I'm a pianist, I'm a, okay, that's fine. Yet there are some underlying spiritual and emotional dynamics that, that make you you, that your character and your, you know, your <laughs> intentionality, those things really help so that you can be the best at what you do. Because if you're not together, then, you're, you know, I mean, we shed on our instruments, we should, we practice, but we practice in a way that is going to better us. It's not just muscle memory for drummers or for, you know, saxophone. It's, it's really, we're trying to convey this emotion, this thought, this idea. So I'm really into what's happening behind the sheet music and not just, hey, we got to do this gig. So I thought your research and the material that you have available would be a great marriage. So being that you don't tell the musicians that, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I try to keep the two lives separate, the two crazy separate. But you know, you mentioned that I'm, I'm actually worried too about, you know, nowadays, like even with this new project, people are not expecting to have to pay these days for music. They're accustomed to streaming for free. They don't want to pay for music. Even uh, like master bassist Ron Carter, mm -hmm. he's selling mugs and T-shirts and stuff to make money. He's not, you know, in, 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 so you like you said, you you hone your craft. You do all this practicing. And for the writing that I do, you know, I get inspiration during the night or, or whenever or wherever. And I, I, I hone the craft of lyric writing because I want to get that that just the right phrase and I want to tell the story that's going to really grab your heart. I want to, and I'm going through all this stuff and yet I'm not expected to make money from it. I'm expected to put that online for free. It's blowing my mind <laughs> and I'm supposed to monetize it through selling other stuff, keychains, zip drives. Really? I mean, <laughs> that's a whole a nother conversation. It really is. And I've had it. And, you know, I sit in a mastermind group and we talk about this on a weekly basis because you are worthy of the work that you're producing. Uh, if I call a plumber over, the plumber is going to give me a bill for the, the pipes. You know, if I call an electrician, they're going to give me a bill. Musicians, we put thousands and thousands of dollars in our studio spaces, thousands. OK, and so the software company doesn't care about your song. This is what the software costs. This is what the console costs. This is what the microphone costs. And you pay that. But then when your art, when your creativity, when your soul goes out, you're expected to, you know, um, it used to be at least 99 cents for the download. But now it's a fraction of a fraction of a penny. It's not right. And so we need to educate ourselves and hone, you know, if, Ma if Ron Carter who is the ultimate basis. If he has to sell a t-shirt, something's wrong. <laughs> we need to fix it. But there's an expectation that music be free. And I get it, you know, even movies, even film companies are having trouble because people are, you know, pirating, et cetera. So it's yeah. just, it's a strange time. How do you get people to value? And this goes back to valuing black culture. That's correct. How do you get people to value it when it's free? When it's, you know what I mean? When it's mm -hmm. 
I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm struggling to understand how we fix our cultural awareness because our culture is so vital. It's yes. so important and it it's is. so amazing, the depth of our culture. You know, I had proposed to people that we have a day, and they think I'm crazy, a day to honor the slaves. Mm. People were like, ooh. And I was like, without those people, we wouldn't be here. Those people were amazing. And we don't have a celebrate slave. I mean, I, is that crazy? That sounds nuts, right? Well, it sounds nuts, but I understand the context uh, beyond it, you know, and, um, you know, even with respect to quote unquote Black History Month, I'm, I've, I've heard all aspects of um, why we should have a Black History Month, why is unnecessary. And, and I get the context behind it, but honor uh, and, and really treasuring the legacy that makes yes. you you yes. is absolutely important. Oh my gosh, those are some amazing people. And we don't know their names. Correct. We know only bits and pieces of their, their story and their legacy, yeah. but oh my God, I we mean, are their children. That's right. Even in my own prayer life, I'm a man of faith. So when, I, when I'm praying and when I'm, I'm meditating and I'm thinking about, you know, the ancestry that I don't know and what he or she had to go through for me to be here, what they had to endure for me to drive the car that I drive, to live in the neighborhood that I live in, to be able to afford the house. That's their blood. <laughs> you know, that's their sweat. That's their, the insults and the um, degradation that they had to endure for Jerry to be sitting right here. It's amazing. And so you have to take the time to stop and really bring honor to that legacy. You absolutely do. But Nobody says that. I mean, in the in the mass media, even you know, among Black culture, that's not taught as mainstream. Like this is what you have. To well, we still have that shame about having once been property. That that shame of slavery. That that stigma. That that. And I think the fact that we've overcome. I think the fact that we have, by God's grace, those barriers have been broken. You know what I'm saying? And you can stand up and be a little bit. the man and the woman that you should be. Yeah, a, a little bit. But there, I mean, there have been great strides. Uh, we cannot argue that when we, you know, when we have the foremost uh, educators, athletes, musicians who have been at the pioneer. But the disparity of, of income between a black middle class person and a white middle class income is a chasm. It's an illusion. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's our fault. I think some of that is our fault. Really? I think that we're, I, I do. I, 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 I do. I think some of that, not all of it, but some of it is our fault. I mean, as you said before, there's an underlying shame that we have. I think we carry this psychological baggage that, well, that's just the way it is. And there's not enough of us that are saying, Let's strive forward. This is what we can do. I mean, there are industries that we we can own and operate, but we always seem to think, quote unquote, well, the white man won't let us do this. Well, we, you know, look, we got to break that cycle in our home. I mean, my, well, we can go down, we can go down, we can go down that street, but there, you know, my wife and I, we talk about it all the time because we are both entrepreneurs. 
And this is something that we can harness and we teach that to our children. This is something that we can harness because if I'm always looking now, I have to network. I mean, I'm not in a bubble, I'm not on an island and I'm not a silo. So we definitely have to work within the larger community to make these happen. But what do you do when you get it? Do you then isolate? those who look just like you and who don't have what you've been blessed to have? Or do you begin that process of helping to teach, helping to train and bring them into the knowledge you now have? I think not enough of that, not enough of us, our people really take that and put that on our shoulders of responsibility. But check this out. Here is the thing that I run up against when I'm talking about health. Our community has an obesity issue. We, do. we have uh, food deserts where they can't even get to a decent quality food. But underlying all of that, Jerry, mm -hmm. in order to do self-care, you have to have self-worth. You have to feel that you are worthy of that. I and wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. And that's the thing that I run up against. Instead, I get people who have not got that. I did a, a podcast, um, some school teachers, um, it turned out they were one taught at a public uh, high school, the other taught at a, what do you call those, charter grammar school. Mm -hmm. And they said, uh, but still uh, like eighth grade kids. But anyway, they said, we run into these kids all day long. Gene, what do we do all day long? They have no self-esteem. They hate themselves. Mm -hmm. They have a culture where they're on their phones and they're texting and they're but they don't have any sense of self. They're so depressed. And and she and she was telling me what they ate, and I was like, oh my God, well, yeah, that's not gonna help either. Sure. But what do we do to inspire these kids? I mean, that's the next generation, and they're not getting fed. They're not getting fed. You know what I'm saying? I, and I, I can't stress enough. I think it's it's our fault. I think you and I and her and him and you who are watching, I think that because you know this knowledge, then you have a sphere of influence, whether it's your home or your neighborhood or your church or your school system. But if they don't have the self-esteem, if they don't like themselves well enough to feel that they're worthy, then right. they can't spread any message. They can't even well, absorb any message of healing and health. So that's, I, I mean, there are no easy answers, but I still say it begins with the one. What, what I have to do, and, and, and I'll say this, we'll go down the street for just 14 seconds, but my wife and I both came from broken homes. We're both, you know, know the pain and heartache of divorce. We know that. So even when we begin dating, we begin talking about what type of family we wanted to have. Now this, you know, and, and, and our children will never know the pain of divorce. Now, I brought a child into the marriage because I became a father at 17. Mm -hmm. So my, my wife decided, she said, well, I don't want to do the stepmom thing. Let's just get custody of your daughter. And when my daughter was 11, she came to live with us. So Aww. we begin with the intentionality that, you know, so now what do we do with respect to our larger family, our brothers and sisters? 
and their children and whatnot, you have to begin that identification of who you are and this is who we are and this is what our family is about and this is what our larger family is about. But wait a minute, what about the neighbor across the street who doesn't have that same experience because they are in a broken situation? Well, as they're coming and dialoguing with our kids, they're getting a sense of what this wholeness looks like. And then it just spreads and it begins to multiply. I mean, we can do that or we can say to the kid across the street or the family across the street, we don't care anything about you. This is us. This is ours. And I think there's too much of that. This is, we got ours together. And so, yo, but you have to stretch out. You And that's where it begins to grow and multiply. So I don't know, there's a part of me and I may be 100% wrong that I always look inward to say, well, I have a responsibility about this. There's something that I can do. And then if I can do it and my wife and I can do it, and then my sister and my brother-in-law can do it, you know what I mean? Then it begins. Gary, to you don't recognize that you are a unicorn. That's the problem. Well, <laughs> I guess I guess, I, you know, I'll concede to, to that. But <laughs> I, I just think there's a pattern there. It can happen. I've seen the success. I've seen the failures. It's not, you know, like a cookie cutter situation. I get that. But um, if enough of us who are of our generation, you were born in the late 50s, you were born in the 60s, you've seen, you know, <laughs> you know but you, you can see, you know, I mean, we have that link to the past. We know what it was like. I know who my great grandmother was. I know, you know what I'm saying? There's something that you can see there and you can go, okay, well, it doesn't always have to be this way. You had mentioned early in our conversation about real instruments versus beats. Now they took the beats because you know the, 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 the school systems did not provide. I took home a trumpet. I took home a saxophone. I took, I took home a saxophone just because I wanted to try it out and see, but it That's was readily available. Perfect, yeah. You know what I mean? But when, when that stopped and yes, the kids did with the samples and the, you know, the recording and all of that, what they could with the technology, but to be able to hold a trumpet in your hand and go, wow, look at these to be able to put it to your lips. I mean, there's nothing like it. But we who are the older musicians, we can get to that guy across the street, that little kid and go, hey, have you ever seen a trumpet before? <laughs> have you ever held it in your head? So the schools are not doing it. I can't you know, go legislate for that, but I can open my heart up and I can pour it to you. Unicorn. All right, that wasn't even what our conversation was supposed to be about, but, <laughs> but we're here, you know what I mean. <laughs> Unicorn, you're supposed to be in jail and you're not. You don't recognize. I'm not, but I, I, I have been to jail. Okay, I have been to jail. That's a whole nother conversation. If we, if you were interviewing me when you put me on your podcast, okay. I'll tell my story. <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm gonna hold you to that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I, I'm, I'm all for personal responsibility. I may not be able to do all that, but what is the one or two things that I can do? And when I'm faithful to that, it's going to help better the next person. I went to jail, but I didn't go back. I I'm just saying jail, it's hard to hold people responsible. And maybe I'm just, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm missing it when they don't have self-love. And So you got to love them. You got to love them. Only goes so far. I'm but one, you. just one person. I can't love 57 people. My life won't allow me to do that. I'm talking about within the respect of a larger community. But there's the little kid down the street who right. I know both of his parents are either, either they're not together or they work around the clock and he's a latchkey kid. Okay. 
So what can I do? Can I take him to the park? Can I, can I have that one conversation with the father, with the mother and say, hey, you know what? We have kids and we would like little Johnny to come over on Saturdays and just hang out with us. Would that be okay? I see your point. One-on-one -on -one as opposed to, I'm, I'm always looking to move the whole group. I want everybody. <laughs> yeah, I, and if you do, you can't, you know, then you really are not effective to what you're put on this planet to do. And I, I realized that I only have so much time. I don't know when the Lord is going to call my name and that's it for me. So I, I know that I need to prioritize. However, who I can help while I can help them, I got to be committed to that one or two or three people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for allowing me to sabotage your conversation. I know. Now I'm all out there. <laughs> But this is what I told you, you know, at the beginning, we're just going to have a conversation. I'm, I'm really grateful. I, I, I really am. And I'm not trying to spin this back on orbit or anything, but I'm really grateful for what I have seen. Because, again, when I reached out to you on LinkedIn, I had already kind of checked out your website, checked out your music. And I thought, you know, this is a woman of substance. And I think this would be a great conversation. So what you've done and what you've been able to accomplish, I think is a great inspiration to entree musicians everywhere. I really mean that. What I do want to ask, however, is what do you find or what have you found to be the most challenging uh, aspects of being a musician or being a creative? Have you, you know, what would you say, this is the one that really gets it for me and this is the barrier that I'm, I'm trying to fight right now? Biggest barrier I'm trying to fight right now is I've got the content, I've got music that I just, I'm honored to have, have recorded and finished and it's sitting there. Mm. The biggest challenge is being effective on the internet, being able to, there's so much out there. So being able to have my voice heard, being able to get eyes on my site, that is the challenge, is being relevant and being yeah, accessible. Yeah. I was discouraged when I heard Beyonce had put out her album and like three o'clock in the morning, she sold three million copies mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And they considered that a failure. I was like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wait a I would mm -hmm. kill to get three million people. Absolutely. Um, so I, that's the challenge is being effective on the internet and getting people really getting the buzz going. Mm -hmm. That's my challenge is yes. getting my music heard. Mm -hmm. And that's a challenge for a lot of us. I mean, I, I remind entre musicians all the time that Spotify drops or adds to their platform 40,000 songs a day. So there are significant things that you need to do to raise your voice. And I think I'm not saying uh, dumb down at all your expectations. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm, I'm saying there's a process, just like you were talking about with respect to going through a day, there's a process of how we need to hone our craft, our, our tribes. Uh, Seth Golden, it goes back to his great book, Tribes of saying, this is my family. This is my musical family. These are my fans. There may be five, there may be 50, but what do I do to create this organic structure where they know this is me? It's almost like a cult following, like Parliament Funkadelic back in the seventies. They didn't have everybody, but those they had were theirs. You know what I mean? And so creating those uh, connections of ownership 
where I don't need the whole internet. I don't need the 3 million people, but you know what? These 35, these 350, these 3000 that I have, you know, how mm. to, how you're to process You're good this. at that. I'm, I guess I'm, you're the same thing with the other topic we were on. I keep going big tent. I want everybody. And you keep going, no, just, no. if you can just. No. So I'm going to work on that. I didn't realize that was an issue for me. Thank you for this yeah. therapy session. Hey, it's both of us. This is back and forth. <laughs> it's back and forth, but that's something, I mean, Seth Golden and, and many uh, entree musicians may know his work, but you know, he really, when he started Tribes, it was a whole different way of thinking as far as marketing is concerned, because everybody is not my fan. They're not. They're not, you know, the type of music that I make, because I make some strange music. I mean, it's based in jazz, but we call it original alternative funk jazz fusion. That's sound doctrine music. And that gives us the liberty to play what we want to play because we feel like this. This is how we feel right now. And that doesn't work for everybody. You know, because if you're on a record label, they want you, you got to fit this box. If you're hitting radio, you know, they told us when we got on the Weather Channel and we spent two years on the Weather Channel. And I can tell you, um, What's the dude's name at that time? His name was Brian. Can't Picard, Brian Picard. Picard. Okay, so we put in, and I've talked about this in other videos I've done on the Entree Musician, but Brian Picard, good dude, good dude. We established a great rapport, but we put out this single called Marriage. It had the wonderful Reagan Whiteside on flute. It had Cliff Barnes on piano and the magical Keith McKelly on saxophone. It was a great, great track. And Brian called me after I sent it to him. He said, listen, they had just got a new music programmer and they don't want any flutes on the Weather Channel anymore. What are you talking about? No flutes. Can you send me a remix without the flute? Are you kidding? This is Reagan Whiteside. What are you talking about? So my wife and I had a great, she's, she's my, I love her so much. You know, I mean, we bounce back and forth. She's like, well, the royalty checks have been very good. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so we hired uh, Angel Lopez, wonderful acoustic guitar, laid the acoustic guitar in and put that in there. But here was the thing for me, Jerry had to ask the question. I had to say, can I be bought and sold though for flute? This was the mix that I wanted the world to hear. You dig it? And yeah. so it was like still even now, and this is 15, 16 years later, I'm thinking, I want to only do what I want to do. I and would get programmers who would get confused and not include my music because they couldn't figure out, well, wait a minute, you do vocals and you play guitar? I, it was confusing to them. Yeah. They wanted a CD that only had one thing. It, it was guitar. It was just guitar. And because I had both, I got people who would not play myself because they couldn't literally take the time to figure out what, even if I'd sent a list of here's the tunes that are guitar, here's the tunes that are vocal. Yeah. You can choose. Yeah. Um, they, it was too confusing for them. And I yeah. got I got a lot of flack for putting both. Even though Quincy Jones used to do it all the time. Constantly. Constantly. Constantly, yeah. boom, 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 boom. <laughs> this is the album that I the, ship it. <laughs> that was the album. It had exactly. everything on it, right? Exactly. But no, it confused them that it had vocal songs and instrumentals. What is it? It's a zebra. What? It, what? Right. But here's a lesson that I, I, I learned, Jane. I learned this in 2002, and I learned it on our, our first album. 
And uh, it's a story that continues to inspire me. This is a, a real woman who sent me a three paragraph email because of the song that we uh, had written and put on our first CD, it was called Under the Shadow. And she said her mom was passing away from cancer and she was going into hospice. And as they were playing the CD, her mother asked her, hey, can you, can you just put that song on, on repeat? So oh. she said, that song must have looped about 75 times as her mom was passing from this world into oh my eternity. God. So from that story, you can't give me a Grammy. You can't give me an award that is going to like satisfy me. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, so-and-so, you know, this station is not going to play it, but you know what? Some, it resonated with somebody. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just out of the whole fanfare thing. It has its place. Recognition has its place. By God's grace, we've won a lot of different awards, the Soul Patrol Awards, different act accolades, even the Ohio Music Awards, because that's where we are. That's great. But nothing, nothing hits like, wow, she was listening to our music while she was passing on. That one song resonated. Wow. That's it. So I don't know. I'm a little, I'm a little whatever, the unicorn, but it's like there, there are things and there's music that I want to make. And, and I know that that person who's listening on the other side is making a connection. Because if it's just a stream on Spotify and whatever, because remember the, the trend went to making songs shorter so that they can get more streams. So now a song is like a minute and 33 seconds and like, that's the format. You can't even get into the groove after a minute and 33 seconds. Come on, where's the bridge? <laughs> you know, where, yes. What are we doing? Oh, somebody you was saying, I mean? they're like, Gene, you can't have a change, no changing and no intro. What's with that intro? It's the eight, four bars, that's it, two bars. I I was like, wow, wow. I used so, to love intros. I used to love to just kind of open up into the story, you know? Come on, Knee Deep was 15 minutes and 33 seconds. 15 <laughs> minutes, and we go, when, you know, if the DJ played the short version, he was going to get his butt kicked. <laughs> You're going to play all 15 minutes of that, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> come on. And then to shift the groove mid-section or, or raise the key, Oh my God, it just lit, takes you in another direction. Exactly right. Like that tune I sent you, War and Insufficient Peace. Right. Do you notice when Bobby comes in with that piano solo? Yes. Like, <laughs> whoa, wait a minute. It's like somebody just it's opened the window. That's right. He took That's it right. in a whole other direction I wasn't even expecting. When I heard that solo, I was like, ooh, I never thought of that. I, I didn't That's hear right. that chord. That's those moments that you wait for. And when you're in the right. studio and yeah. you've written a bass line, but the bass player, he's hearing something else. Maybe there's a figure he's been working on or something. And he comes out with something. You're like, whoa, that's what I miss is being able to be in the studio and just mix it up, you know, right. take that time to really develop a song. That's right. Even though you've written that. I mean, what I do is basically musical masturbation. I sit yeah. there and I write everything yeah. myself. I do mm -hmm. all the parts. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. Don't get me sure. wrong. I'm glad I can do it. Sure. But. Oh, I miss that chemistry, that thing that happens when somebody else's mind comes in and brings you their experience, brings mm -hmm. you their heart, mm -hmm. brings you that thing that inspires them. When he sat yeah. there, like I said, when I first heard that solo, you know, he's like, he's, he's in Chicago. So he sent me the track here in New York and I put it up there. I'm putting it like, okay, can you, okay, here it comes, here it comes. Whoa, what, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> oh, Absolutely. No, yes. you're 
You're right. I mean, there there was a time in the 80s, early 90s, where it became the segue into the solo artist. And so bands were not the thing anymore. And, uh, you know, I grew up with bands. And so there was a variety of thought which made the music really thick. And if we were just going to look at Lakeside or the Barcades or Cameo, Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, there's 11, 12 people that are responsible for this thing happening. And even though you had a central, you had the Maurice White, you had the leader of the band and they may have been the, you know, musical director. There was still all of these personalities and this spirit, which yes. it. it's but a suit. Exactly. But you saw when it came down to the it wasn't the Jackson Fives. It was Michael Jackson. It wasn't Cameo, 11 people in the band. It was only three. Larry you Blackman. Yeah. Larry Blackman. But you saw the music suffer. And I was a huge Cameo fan, but Nights of the Sound Table and Word Up are two different albums because there was a consolidation of thought. It was the musical masturbation. It was just, you know, the, the, wider context that you got with the horns and the strings and all of that. And then everything just became synthesized. It's like, okay, that's good, but it's a shell of your former self, you know? And we, we saw that happen over and over when earth, wind and fire shrank down and it was just the four guys. Eh. After in the stone, after that album, but I gotta tell you too, I, it's the emulation too. Did you notice that male singers, you don't have those male voices anymore. Those, those, um, that's right. The uh, Teddy Jeffrey Osborne, Jeffrey Ger Osborne, right? Yeah, Gerald Albright, um, Peebo Bryson. That's you correct. Glenn, Glenn Douglas, you know, yeah, all those. The voices are now thinner, and 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 you know, I'm not to say anything against it. It's just that what happened to that masculine woo, you know? Whoa, what happened to what happened to masculine rap? Uh, I think uh, KRS One uh, did a nice video on that. How you know the masculinity has been taken out of, of hip hop, even. So that's but hip hop itself. Do you realize that when the record companies realized that, uh, for instance, young white males, their revolution music had been all always rock, but suddenly in like the late 70s early 80s they started moving towards black music in particular that hip-hop genre right. and so the record labels said oh well wait a minute okay so we don't need to fund r&b or soul music or any of that we're just gonna fund the hip-hop because that's what's making us money and so they stole, literally stole the money from over here where we where there was creative stuff here oh, and yeah, just oh, went yeah. to this creative stuff here and then they they said well wait a minute the stories that you guys are talking all that that black pride stuff we really we need stories that are a little more violent can you give us more of this thing here correct that, correct and correct. that's when you stopped that because remember originally there was brag rap i mean it was like correct. i'm this i'm that. i'm the best what? mc i can rock the mic you know yes yeah well then it, it got you know, it was all about the violent thing because the white males were needing that for their rebellious side. It was set more white people buy white hip hop than, than, than blacks. That, that's sure. the, just the market that's value. It. That's just, that's it. yeah. And so they had to make sure that they got their rebellious music. Yeah. And that's why hip hop is filled now with this culture of violence. That's it's correct. Because it's, that's what they'll pay for. That's what the that's record correct. company will pay for. And it's unfortunate because it's playing out beyond the studio. It's playing out in the street. And that's just, 
you know, what it is. Now, a hundred years ago, when I was a youth pastor, and it reminds me of what you said about the mentor who taught you about tones and, and you know, uh, frequencies, but, you know, there was a time when music had a higher tempo, you know, we were at 110, we were at 115. And actually, if you look at their gangster rap, as it began to come in, actually, it was slowed down, the tempo was slowed down, where it was more into your heartbeat, you know, and it mm. just had, and and it's opened up a gate with more dissonant chords, you know, mm. and 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 that's how the murderous lyrics were able to come in because it actually opened up a gate for you. Interesting. You know, I, I took my youth group through through that just to see because yo, you got Will Smith on one hand, parents just don't understand Jazzy Jeff, you know, and it was just like hip hip hop, you know, the Sugar Hill Gang, and then it just slowed down to where now instead of togetherness music like the earth wind and fire instead of just we're going to have a good time we're going to party you know some of that yes, mad, what happened to that but yes. no we're going to put each the other's head out okay as a musician i listen to the lyrics and child the lyrics are so disparaging even Absolutely. if it's love it's what i'm gonna do to you with it i mean it's like and why is it when i because i watch videos while i'm just walking around and on vivo if i change to the country western channel well it's all heart song stories and then i turn to the black channel it's soft porn. Correct. What the heck? Correct. I mean, it's, that's it's correct. not and even that's us. subtle. It's us. See, now that goes back to No, that's us. not us. That's what they'll pay for. However, however, we did in our despair. Go, let's go back to the 50s. Let's go Marketing. Back to, but here's the thing. Here, wow. You know, this is not going to be, I'm hoping this it's going to be three or four conversations. We're going to, you know, we're going to have to like stop somewhere and, and have that conversation. But, you know, when we, when, when the police dogs were after us and the, they were turning the fire hoses on us, there was one thing they couldn't take away from us. And that was our unity. Okay. That was our pride and who we were, even though we were under the Jim Crow. That was because it was a mantra that was going through the black community. So, and that was centered in the church, but also in community organizations. We don't have that central focus now and we don't have a single voice. So you and I, it's two people. Oh, there you go with that one-on-one -on -one thing. Oh. It's two people. Okay. And you know someone and I know someone and, and they know someone. <laughs> And they know someone, yes, okay. right? And say, okay, what happened? We all, because here's the common thing. We can talk about this and we can talk about this in a room full of 300 people and they all are going to agree. Yes, the music used to be here and then it went here. Uh, our culture used to be here. We had standards, we had principles, we had character, church, community groups, but now we don't. Okay, well, who's going to do something about it? Well, I don't know. It takes, no, it takes you and me and them she, her, him. And we have to, we have to turn it around. It's us. Because if we don't, the, that next generation of, of children that you were talking about, they're lost. Forget them, write them off. It's over. Skip it. It's done. But the thing is, but they're not... more connected than ever because of these wonderful devices sure. we have. We but are it... in touch. We should be able to have a movement overnight. It Look, how quickly, you remember those, those uh, rallies they were having that they yeah. overnight well, yeah. Come on, we can yeah. do this. Yeah. I don't understand why we have more connection than ever, and we're yet we're more separated than ever. Yeah, yeah. It makes connections no and sense. Disconnections. Well, I am going to count on you, Gene, uh -oh. to 
to start the process. No, no, not and me. You, and you start, and you count on me to start the process here in Ohio. You're in New York, I'm in Ohio, and we start the process together. And we begin the dialogue, and you bring two people in, and I'll bring two people in, and we'll see how can how can we get it started. And maybe, and we have a gentleman, as a matter of fact, his name is Vale Lewis. He's a jazz organist out in uh, Texas, started a great foundation on giving the arts back to the youth. And so Vale is a, you know, that's another voice. So there you go. There's three people, three entree musicians, oh my you goodness. know, then there's Linda Bolero out. She's a, a vocal coach out at uh, uh, Berkeley School of Music. She's a part of our mastermind group. I mean, these are things that these are conversations that happen, but they happen in these silos. Once we can bring these voices together, you watch it. The only reason that evil expands is because good men and good women do nothing. We, we talk about it, we complain about it, we wonder about it, but now we have to be about it. All right. This has been a great conversation. Yes, <laughs> now, let me, ask you, let me ask you this one final question, okay? There was probably something on your mind when you thought, hey, you know, I'm gonna do this conversation with Jerry, we're gonna do the entree musician, and I know he's gonna ask me this, and I haven't asked, what is that unasked question? What is that answer to that that you can give me? Actually, nothing. You've really exposed my entire thing. I'm supposed to keep the things separate, and you surprised me. I didn't know you'd been to New Day. Um, it's not. It's not. It's this is this is what it is. Those musicians that you work with, whether online or off, if they're in your studio or if they're across the world, they gotta know what you shared with us here, and it has to become this movement. Because you can't have all of that wonderful information on your right hand and then that wonderful guitar and beautiful yeah, vocal. Oh, you can't do separate. it. It's one and the same. Right brain, left brain, separate, separate. <laughs> Unity. So you don't have an answer to that last question? You think we covered it? No, no, you, you covered everything. That's good. That's Thank good. you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jean Ricks. She <laughs> is an incredible entree musician. I'm going to link to all of her stuff, whether you're listening on her podcast or watching her on the entremusician.com, YouTube, wherever you're watching this, you're going to be able to have access to all of her information dive in if you're suffering with stress or anxiety she's giving some great bible tips here but there's more and you can read them in her wonderful book the biology of beating stress and uh just tap into her website and yo let's go for this together now all the other stuff that we've talked about yo let's begin to cycle it in your own spheres of influence that's jean ricks she's an entree musician my name is jerry b I'm an entree musician, but you know what? So are you. We will see you again next time. Peace. Thank you. Thank you.